was up at the VA uh, about a week or so ago. While I was sitting there waiting, I was wondering what in the world I was going to talk on today. And I see that whenever I was sitting there, all the different military people that's been out, and I see there's a lot of people that served our country here this morning. And I was thinking, you know, that would be a, a, a good thing to speak on and pick certain people out in the scriptures. And I ended up picking four centurions, military men. <clears throat> certain qualities, none that maybe the Roman Empire had, but these certain ones had certain qualities. Some a lot more than others. Some that we wish that we could be like. And the first one is in Matthew, the eighth chapter. And I was thinking that, I says, what did I learn while I was in the military? And there were certain things that I learned, not so much physically, because I think it hurt me worse than it did help me. But character-wise, it, it taught me a lot. You learn discipline. You learn a structured life where, you know, here, you know, some of the people grow up and they never see any structure about their life. Uh, you find respect for authority, respect for the chain of command. Without it, would be in chaos. Then you have certain admiration for the freedoms that you enjoy and uh, the price that was paid for certain ones. So as we go to the, there's four centurions that I picked up. First one is, is in Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And uh, there's another account in Luke. And that's why I was studying this. I thought of Henley's lesson last Wednesday. I'm glad he's here. See? Because if I have a problem with certain things, people ask them certain questions, I can always play football and just hand it off to him. No problem. Matthew 8, 5 through 13. And it talks about this uh, centurion from Capernaum. Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to them pleading with them, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And in Luke's account, in Luke 7, it says he was near to death. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. 
and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great, no, not in all of Israel. Then in verse 13, it said, And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the servant was healed that very same hour. In Luke's, in Luke 7, uh, what is it, uh, 2 through 10, has a different thing here. And there was a, it's not a, what I say, uh, a problem here that, or a mistake or anything. It's just what two different men, two different writers wrote different things. In Luke's account, he gives a different account of it. And in Luke 7, it tells us that this centurion was very, very good person. For it said there that he would, he built a synagogue for the Jews. Now you got to remember this. This is a Roman centurion. The Jews thought they were, the Romans were dogs. Let's, let's face it, they hated them, usually. But here's this Roman centurion that pleased the Jews. He built them a synagogue. And not only that, but that he was well admired by these, these Jews here. And we can see whenever we look at the, uh, this thing in Luke 7 that uh, he was a very good man. And a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. This is just the same one that was in Matthew 8. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him. Well, in Matthew's account, it says the centurion came himself. In Luke's account, he sent elders of the Jews to Jesus. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. Isn't it amazing that certain people, no matter where they lived in the world or where they're at, you know, there's good people everywhere. And good people, even whether we might have a wrong impression of at first, some of them are very good people, like this centurion here. And Whenever we see that when Jesus came uh, and he marveled at the centurion's faith and that he had respect for authority and he knew that he had heard of Jesus. So he knew about God somewhat and he did these things for the Jews so he was a very good person. Problem is, Mr. Henley, 
did one Luke say that he was um, sent the elders where it is in Matthew it said that he went himself do you have any ideas? well both could have occurred okay Uh, I I knew in advance you could could put the timeline down both of those things could have occurred at different times during the first when he heard about it and when he was on his way yeah okay Uh, you know I never thought of it like that the could have gone and then he could have been serving and then at some point the centurion himself could have met Jesus along the way it's difficult sometimes and this isn't the only instance where events in the life of Jesus are told even out of sequence sometimes they're told before something happens and sometimes after it is four different accounts of uh, the life of Jesus and each author says something a little bit different a little bit different just like us if we had all witnessed something and then a day later somebody interviews and said what happened, it's, it's doubtful. Even under eyewitness accounts that rarely do people get everything exactly the same as it happened because you remember things differently. And for the most cases, it doesn't contradict anything in the story. It doesn't say anything different. Say, one doesn't say the servant died, the other will say the servant lived. That would be a huge contradiction. But it's really the same story. And it troubles us because they're inspired by the Holy Spirit. And right. Why did it come that way? But I believe that the event happened. If you blend those two together, it could have happened just as both of them said. I always think uh, I never sweat the small stuff. Right. And something like it's not what we got to get out of a certain thing in this thing. This is something very small or minor. Jim? Well, just think of this one. You have four Gospels. Think of it as a crossroads. Four, where there's a four way. Four mm-hmm. people. One person standing on each corner, and there's an accident. It's the same accident. They all saw that accident. But each one of them is going to have a different account because of his view towards that accident. It is the same accident, but you're getting four different views of that same accident. That's a good example. <coughs> so, so we can see, we can see that this centurion was was a good man. He had a lot of qualities that we, as children of God, should have. First of all, he believed in Jesus. He knew the power of God that he sent for Jesus. And he knew, he knew for a fact that Jesus could heal him. Now, who else could he go to that could do these things? And he had respect for authority. And like he stated, and through this, and just um, you know, this is a he praises him about his faith, and faith is, you know, faith. I used I said this last time. I used to, what I would teach. I'd write on the board. Faith is a mathematical equation. I'd say 
Belief plus trust equals faith. And, you know, just to kind of teach what faith was. I mean, you think about the faith that he had in this time period or any time period for somebody to just say, okay, he's better now, he's healed, and then he's instantly healed without you waving something over him or touching him or giving him some elixir or some kind of potion, you know, or doing some kind of massage therapy or whatever you're going to do. You usually would put hands on a person and do something. Just say it, and it will. I know it will be. That is, that is serious faith, and this is not even a Jew. That's what's amazing to me. That's what I was getting to next. Ken? Uh, going off of Ed's point, you have to look at the time frame in which these people are living. In the Roman Empire, they're under a polytheistic rule that you have to do one thing for one God, one thing for another God in order to make things happen in their realm of reality. And the fact that he didn't say to, to Jesus, what do I need to even give you? What kind of you know human sacrifice do I need to create here? Or to make things occur based on what the priests always tell us in the Roman Empire. He's very, going along, he's a Roman centurion. He's a very pragmatic individual, physical, and, you know, of authority. And it, to go on that point of faith, to be able to just to say to Jesus, you can say this and it will be done. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's right. And, and in fact, he was humble enough to tell the Lord that you can just say that. You don't need to go to my house. I'm not worthy. I'm impressed by the in Luke's account that he is humble enough to understand his position as compared to God, so that he says he's not even worthy to come to see the mountains by sending those um, men who were Jews, right. elders. Right. Um, to me, that's a that, that understanding. Well, that, that was a, the one person here, the first one. I just went through the first part of the New Testament and it's going back and finding the other ones. The next one, Centurion, was at the death of Jesus. He, was, he and his, his soldiers were the ones taking care of the crucifixion of our Lord. And you think, well, there wasn't much good to say about this man, but there was something. More than one thing. There was a couple things that I noticed that went went at the cross, you know, and they crucified and this and that. And at the very end, and this is found in Matthew twenty seven and some of the other gospels. But this centurion with all the different things happening, it said uh, in Matthew 27, 50 to 54. It, it talks about what he's seen, which changed his mind and his feelings and everything. Now you remember, this is a Roman centurion and unlike the other one that built a synagogue, or like in Acts 10, Cornelius, this man was just doing his job. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up the spirit. 
Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints came out and had that were fallen asleep, but were raised, and coming out of the graves after his after the resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. You, you view this thing from a Roman's point of thing. Have they ever seen the dead rise? Did they ever see any of these things like that? And all, all of a sudden, and it says from the sixth hour to the ninth hour, it was complete total darkness. That's from noon to three. We go out there after services today. It's bright and shiny. It's supposed to be sunny or light from noon to three. Total darkness. And it said that all of these things, an earthquake, and it talked about the of course, I don't think the centurion seen that, but the veil of the temple was ripped in two, but he seen the rock split and the quake and everything, and he made a statement. And then Matthew's account, it says, truly, this was the Son of God. In Matt, uh, Luke's account, he says he glorified God, and this was truly a righteous man. Here was another one. Jesus was righteous, and he was the Son of God. So there was no contradiction there either, just like we were talking about the other one. Both of them were true. It's just what the writer wrote. But in Matthew and Mark's account, it says, truly, this was the Son of God. You met any yeah, it's what my translation in Luke says, praising God, certainly this man was innocent. Well, the yeah. other way you say different translation yeah. says different things, but it, it really means the same thing. In the person, in the first example, I, I thought it was interesting that Matthew was a Jew writing to Jews and gave it. centurion as you say and they had many many gods and the translation in, in Matthew could have been he is a son of a god the, the word the is something that's added it could have been a son of a god 
because they had so many gods. But even this centurion, like whether he, he didn't believe in the God, he believed in a God. But he realized the authority that was above him, that, that there was a higher being than he was. And he marveled at what happened and all the things that happened. You know, it probably put quite a bit of fear. We always talk about the fear of God. Oscar? I think uh, what was more meaningful to me was not about the veil of the temple and earthquake and the rocks breaking and so forth. But what uh, appealed to me more than anything was when uh, Matthew uh, verse 52 and 53 and so forth and said that the graves were open. That's a little bit more just go by what it says. Truly, this was the Son of God. But you, 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 you think about the Romans, like the Paulian, the, they believed in a lot of gods. That has nothing to do with it. The, the point and the fact was that all those other gods that they nothing, they didn't. Who are they? They're just things that in man's imagination that the God that created us and the one that sustains us, this is the God that he's talking about, evidently. The next, the third one, is a very familiar centurion. And it's in Acts 10. And we all know that's the, that centurion, Cornelius, was a very good man. And it says he was of the, as we read, he says he was of the Italian regiment 
four bands, Italian regiment band, same thing. He says he was a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Then in verse 22, it says, uh, he's talking talk about the same thing whenever he's talking to Peter here, but this was the first part of it. And he says, he was a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews, and was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear his words from you. And it talks about in the later on, it talks about in the ninth hour, he was fasting all day. And in the ninth hour, he was praying to God. Now, definitely Cornelius was different than the other one because he was taught, he had... Whether he was a Jewish proselyte, I don't know what, it never says, but he had a fear and respect of God more than any of these other uh, ones. And he had such a, a respect for God that he fasted and he prayed constantly, you know, all the time. So we can see, and he had a fervent love for the people of the nation of the Jews. So that, there's two of the uh, centurions that had that respect. And that, it amazed me that, you know, you, you see a, a Roman, you know, and like the Jews said, they hated them. But not all Jews hated them. It just, in general, they did because they were the ruling, you know, empire at the time. You know, if we were ruled by someone else, I'm sure we would dislike them also. But we were we're commanded by Jesus to be under the authority of whatever civil government there is. Doesn't make any claim of one certain one over another, or whether they're uh, pertaining to Christianity. But we're to obey the law. Right. There's, a, there's kind of a, a passage that uh, I've always thought was really interesting. And you're talking about the centurion that wasn't a Jew, but yet he you know, was fasting and he's kind of and he's a, yeah. a believer. And um, it's in Romans, the second chapter. And um, it, it talks about the law here, but Romans chapter 2, verse 14 is what I was getting at. But I'd like to back up to verse 12. It says, um, well, first of all, it says, there's, for there's no partiality with God for as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. For as many as have been sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And verse 14 is what I want to focus on. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, those although not having the law are a law to themselves. So, you know, there were, there were people that were God-fearing and, you know, Jesus said later, ask, seek, and knock. You know, whenever I hear somebody say, well, what about the person on, you know, in Zimbabwe, and, and there's no water there, are you telling me they have to eat? Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. If somebody is truly searching, a door will be open. 
But you know, I find that interesting that those do by nature. So again, this is talking about the, you know the written law and God's law, but it, it's it's interesting on here because you, I picture Cornelius and he when we use the word righteous man and just, that typically means being fair and being you know like if there's nine if there's nine points and we're going to split them, you do it four and a half and four and a half. It's not five and four. I mean that's how usually they talk about righteous man and just. So he's like there's an exactitude. So I just think it's interesting. I think he's probably a God-fearing man. And yes. That's interesting. Well, another thing, you've got to remember that during this time, in Jesus' time and in the Apostles' time, which is right now, Paul's time, a lot of miracles were done. And whether you're a Christian or a, even a dis you cannot overlook this fact that miracles were done Miracles that can't be explained by the apostles and by Jesus. And they, like it says, it wasn't done under a rock, more or less. It was widely known. So no matter who you were back in that time, you would know that these miracles were happening. And probably a lot of them seen these miracles. Jesus performed miracles, I would say, daily during his ministry, I would think, or close to it. And, but only certain ones are written about, just like John says, he only wrote certain ones that we may believe. But the things that were done constantly by Jesus and by the apostles, you know, dead raised, you know, the different parts of nature being overwhelmed by these miracles. It's amazing, and these centurions seen this also. Well, in Acts 10, it says that being a devout man or a just man, and one who feared God with all his, he gave alms generously to the people. You imagine here the, a, a Roman giving up his salary, and I'm sure he made being a centurion had a decent salary or something, but he gave it to them because that was in his heart. And he says, Praise, uh, pray to God always. Let's see. And it, it tells us that Cornelius had a vision. And, and in this vision, he was told to send to Joppa to get one Simon Peter who was by the seashore living in Simon the Tanner's house. So he sent uh, two servants and a soldier to Peter to bring him. And it says in verse 6, it says, and he will, Peter, he will tell you what you must do. And as good as this man was, Cornelius, you know, you just read the, just a few verses of what he was, you think it puts a lot of people nowadays to shame. You know, so we can see that, you know, what he had to do. So, and, and as it went, you got to remember, Peter was under a different impression. He was under the, the Jewish law that they had to separate themselves from the Romans or 
to marry anybody other than a Jew. They had to separate themselves, be separate and apart from them. And here now, he's supposed to send for Peter, and Peter had a vision himself at the same time. And here in this vision, it's very familiar verses, where three times the sheep came down from heaven, and all sorts of unclean beasts came down each time. And it says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter was hungry at the time, and this vision came down. He says, I can't do that. Lord, I can't do that. I've never done that. He says, God says in the vision, he says, what God has cleansed, don't call uncommon. Three times that happened. Then it went up, and then these three men brought, brought to Simon Tanner's house, uh, Simon the Tanner, and we find that uh, Peter finally realized that, oh man, God's no partial to anybody, evidently, because he's saying for me to eat this stuff, and that we should call everyone the same thing. And you think about it, I know people of Israel was God's chosen people, and set, for, set apart for a certain purpose so Christ could come in pure lineage. But we're all, no matter what nation or color or whatever it is, we're all made in the same likeness. And I think this is amazing. Um, one thing about this verse, you're talking about Acts um, in, in chapter 10, verse 14. Peter says, this is, Peter says, not so, Lord. Those are powerful. Think about saying, no, Lord. I'm not, not so, Lord. That's what he's doing. He's telling the Lord, no. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's very, that's very prideful, and that's very shows where just where Peter's the, the kind of Jewish indoctrination and teaching. He still has this in his head. I can't do this. And he's like, not so, Lord. Think of that. Those three words. Oh, yeah. All right. Awesome. I think Peter uh, was just uh, uh, in, in uh, certain times of the Bible, he was just uh, showing that he was uh, a weak person at the time he was doing those things. But that same Peter uh, was the one in Acts chapter 2, he was the one that the Lord chose to stand up with the rest of the apostles and preach that apostles' sermon. But the thing that
indoctrinated in a certain way, and it's it's amazing the the change. Just like Paul had a he was indoctrinated into the Jewish religion, and it it was a one eighty for him to come out of that to believe in Christ. Well, it's interesting to me that it, it shows that we have free will. God could have stuck him in and made him believe right off the top of his head that this is it. But he may have just thought that he was being tested by God to see if he would eat. So that's what well, I at, at the end, we're running out of time, but at the end, we see that Cornelius was taught by Peter, not only Cornelius, but his whole household, and they all were baptized and believers. The, the very last one I wanted to there, it was about the Apostle Paul on his way to Rome and this one centurion named Julius. And uh, it, it's found in, uh, let me see, uh, Acts 27, 1 to 43. And we would just get into it a little bit, but he was another good centurion where he, if you read through the thing, it said that he uh, honored, or not honored, but uh, did kindly to Paul. Paul was a prisoner. He should have been shackled up and everything, but this, this centurion knew that Paul was a Roman. So he gave him liberties on board ship. And there was like 276 people on the ship. It wasn't a little rowboat. You know, it's going across the Mediterranean. It was a big ship uh, for the time. And we see they ran into troubles, at, uh, shipwreck, and they had to dump everything out. And everything was going against them. And they hadn't eaten for 14 days. How long has it been since you fasted? <laughs> I start complaining after about the old what cap? Twenty-two or three hours. Oh. <laughs> well, anyways, it don't take much. Go ahead. I wanted to mention with the third centurion. It's interesting. Something we don't think about is he realizes Peter is from God. He realizes, you know, um, there's this revelation given to. You know, goes to seek this guy. He realizes he's from God and he immediately wants to go down and bend down and worship him. And what's he say? Get up. I'm just a, a normal man. And now, supposedly, Peter to the Catholic Church was the first pope. Can you imagine a pope today when people go and kiss the pope's ring and kneel down to the pope and all that? So, this just shows you, you know, that how much man has kind of digressed in this. Right. Peter says, Get up. I'm just I always make fun of certain things. I go around supposedly blessing, but when you're a Catholic and you can bring orders for confirmed, you got a the bishop in a certain diocese comes down and you got to kiss his hand and he bless you and then he smacks you side to get strength. All this and you laugh, but he don't play around. He smacks you. And I can I, I remember this all along. So I mess around with that certain once and one of our elders up north, uh, he we were talking about that. I says, oh, well I could give you strength, Carl, Carl Parsons. 
so I gave him my blessing. I smacked him on the cheek, not hard, but you know, because he was older than me. But and he just looked at me real funny. But that's what this Catholics would do when you're confirmed. You get the strength or something. But it's all indoctrination. It's all indoctrination. The only thing we need right here, right now, is God's word. Thank you.